Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that is designed only for killing. I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. And I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. Together, we are working our way through the good, the bad, and the brainwashing blue soap of the MCU. So listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 4, Episodes 16 through 22, Agents of Hydra. All right, Lonnie, I am very excited because Agents of Hydra gives us the perfect opportunity to talk about an Earth 3. Ooh. Or perhaps you'd want to call it a Darkest Timeline. Oh, wait, that's what we're in now, though, right? Uh, let's talk about that after we get done discussing these stories. Because <laughs> okay. huh? kind of, that's the problem. Yeah. But TV Tropes actually calls it Villain World. Mm-hmm. And I kind of have to tell you, I don't hate that. It sounds like an amusement park or something, right? (laughs) It does. So let's go with that. Agents of Hydra is a villain world, but of course, it's not the only one. Mm -hmm. Star Trek has its mirror universe. Buffy had the wish. My Little Pony Friendship is Magic did this in season two. (laughs) The CW superheroes did it with Crisis on Earth X. It's literally the entire basis for Mm She-Ra. Doctor Who has done it at least twice, and even Supernatural did it a couple of times. Mm -hmm. So I ask you, what is so compelling about a villain world? I have some answers, but I'm curious if you have any thoughts. Or perhaps you're like a dissenter who's like, no, these are all bullshit and I hate them. Oh, no, I love it. I love it because it it reverses everything in the world and it gives you a new perspective from which to look. I mean, this is why I like uh, what I have incorrectly termed bizarro world episodes. (laughs) Like a villain world, I think, actually is a bizarro world, right? Because everything is the opposite. Okay. Right? That's what a genuine bizarro world is, right? Let me digress. (laughs) As you correct me again in my... Okay. For everybody who has not listened to all of the other podcasts and followed this argument from podcast to podcast. So I have been calling Bizarre World any world where the rules of the world are suddenly different, right? Where everything is just operating on a different on a different level. Joshua has corrected me a number of times and I've ignored him every time where he says that the Bizarro World is where everything is opposite, like Superman is bad instead of good and everything is just completely flipped around. Now, is that what a villain world is? Okay, so I'm mm-hmm. going to split some hairs because <laughs> the deal with a bizarro world mm-hmm. is that things are opposite, yes. but they are usually not opposite like at the ethical or moral level. Okay? okay. Like it's usually just these are like cracked mirror images of mm-hmm. us, right? They're not necessarily the direct opposite, but they are a confused version of us. Okay. okay. And this comes from Superman comic books where a character was introduced called Bizarro. I k- wish I could remember off the top of my head which podcast I already <laughs> did this on because I would just point our listeners to that because I'll do it fast because I don't have all the details in front of me. Right. And so the biggest thing with Bizarro himself is that he's an imperfect duplicate of Superman. Uh-huh. So he thinks that beauty is ugly ugliness is beauty mm-hmm. he speaks like uh like a cartoon toddler honestly <laughs> like me and bizarro you know <laughs> that's his whole deal yeah um and the thing is that bizarro and by extension a bizarro world is mm-hmm. usually played for something like 
laughs or like pathos, <laughs> okay. right? Like, yeah. and I know that sounds like they shouldn't go together, but you can see how this would happen. Yes. Like mm-hmm. Bizarro being confused about everything is funny. Yeah. Like that's just on the face of it. It's funny. Mm-hmm. But then you have some opportunities come along like a Superman, the animated series. When mm-hmm. they introduce Bizarro, you have this moment where Bizarro is just destroying stuff, knocking things over and piling them up in a certain way. Mm-hmm. And then he flies a little ways away. And you see from his perspective, he's recreating Krypton. Right. But it's just a pile of garbage. Mm-hmm. And that's a bunch of pathos. Mm-hmm. Right. So right. you have some options with that. The thing about villain worlds is that, yeah, they are worlds where evil won. Mm-hmm. Like evil is in charge. Yeah. And sometimes that literally means that evil is good and good is evil. Mm-hmm. Believe me, we will talk about that in a moment. I have some examples. <laughs> But that's kind of the difference between a bizarre world and a villain world. Okay. And right. uh, let me correct the record. I have <laughs> never corrected you on bizarre world. I have just mentioned that that is not the most pure use of the term. <laughs> And that you kind of make me personally crazy when you do that. But that's just me personally I, that crazy. That sounds like a correction to me. But you know what? Whatever. Let's not split hairs. I want to hear about villain worlds. Um, also, because you keep doing it now because it makes me crazy. Like, you're like, I could change. But why would I do that? It makes Josh nuts. And I enjoy that. Ordinarily, so, when I find out I'm wrong on something, I correct. But you're right. Our brother sister like energy is just too strong and I cannot resist. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, like, like mm-hmm. listen, listeners, just assume every time you hear Lonnie say the word bizarre world, whether I'm around or not, she's smirking and thinking oh, of me. I absolutely am. That said, let us return to the yes, villain yes. world. So mm-hmm. I I personally, I agree with your mm-hmm. with your assessment. I think that there are, it's the ultimate what if story, yeah, right? Like, absolutely. what if our heroes lost one of these epic battles between mm-hmm. good and evil? What if they were suddenly the hunted instead of the hunters? Mm-hmm. Would they remain good and virtuous or would they join the status quo? Or what if our heroes were straight up villains themselves? Mm-hmm. How much of a stark look in the mirror is seeing a you that's gleefully evil oh my god who among us has not wondered what we'd be like with no Uh inhibitions or ethics right (laughs) tell me you haven't thought about this what would my life be like if i didn't give a good goddamn i mean that's (laughs) i've never gotten past my own innate guilt to even think about that (laughs) you and i've had too many conversations for me to buy that but The villain world lets us dive super deep into that reality, Mm -hmm. really experience it, really play with it. And at least in terms of superheroes, we are usually reassured that the version of our heroes and their world that we know is good and just, Mm -hmm. that it's worth the fight because we've seen how dark it gets when we don't fight. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. But there are, as you can imagine, better and worse examples of this, especially in superhero comics. And in prepping for this show, I accidentally stumbled into a really, really bad one that in turn reminded me of a really, really good one. So since this is an MCU podcast and because I believe in ending on a high note, let's start with my Marvel example. Okay. (laughs) So Secret Empire... Uh, A.K.A. that time some hack made Captain America a Nazi. (laughs) Now, I know Uh 
that I have mentioned this series several times as a capital B, capital I, bad idea, mm-hmm. and some more capital letters, something I will never read. Right. But for you all, a-holes, I read all 300 plus pages of Secret Empire, <laughs> and I hope you, as the team, appreciate me taking this one for you, because friends, it was fucking rough. <laughs> Thank you, Joshua. I appreciate it. Okay. (laughs) If one person loves me for it, then it was all worth it. I loved you anyway, but still, yes. It's true. I just (laughs) cemented the love. Okay. So, honestly, this is the shortest synopsis I can give. Okay. Uh So, just roll with me. This would not be a place for questions because this is as short as it gets. Like, that's not. uh, Yeah. I'm just. Oh, God. Okay. So. (laughs) The Red Skull convinced a sentient cosmic cube named Kobik that Hydra's way of doing things was great, and all these superheroes suck, and she believed it because despite being the personification of a wish-granting machine, she's a child with less lived experience than Kimmy Schmidt fresh out of the bunker. Oh my god. So when Kobik returned Steve Rogers' youth and super soldier serum, asterisk, don't ask, she also (laughs) changed his entire personal history so that he'd been recruited by Hydra as a child uh-huh. and he'd been a hydra sleeper his entire life including his time as captain america both before and after the ice mm-hmm. during a series of engineered cataclysms the united states government gave cap who was director of shield at the time emergency powers which he immediately used to set himself up as supreme leader and place hydra in charge of the usa mm-hmm. now listen <laughs> There is so much more going on in this book Uh than even that, but I'm not going to tell you about most of it because most of it is mind-numbingly boring at best, Mm -hmm. or is at worst held together with a plot so rickety that it makes those old films of prototype airplanes falling apart look slick as modern fighter jets. Mm Mm-hmm. And that is not hyperbole, because despite the fact that I think this whole enterprise is built on a foundation of sewage and QAnon Twitter threads printed out by your boomer uncle, I honestly went in expecting it to be competently told. Mm -hmm. I have enjoyed things written by Nick Spencer before. I thought that although I might hate everything this story had to say, that I would at least enjoy the telling. But friends, it didn't work out that way. Oh, no. First of all, I'm not kidding. The plot really is as bad as I made it out. Uh The superheroes are all split into these smaller factions and separated from one another more or less permanently until the last couple of issues. Mm -hmm. And all of their individual situations are shown to be these dire wars of attrition that they can't hope to win. Mm -hmm. So far, you've got me, right? Unfortunately, we are constantly given death toll updates with no actual names given, Uh which means that they pretend they've killed off characters we care about without actually killing any of them off. Mm -hmm. It's like the merest whiff of danger with nothing to actually back it up. Mm -hmm. It's not great for the stakes. It's not great. Yeah. Second, this thing is a hot mess thematically. Okay. So hope. Hope is the primary theme Mm -hmm. about how nobody can take it from you, but you can lose it. And everybody has to hold on to hope and nobody is giving up hope and hope is all we have and we'll never lose hope (laughs) until they lose fucking hope. (laughs) And you can tell that they lose hope because everyone fucking says so over and over and over. And then though, at the end, a good Captain America returns and we're told that nobody gave up hope. And there was a moment when I looked at a comic book and said, motherfucker, did you read your own scripts? (laughs) 
Third, and this is a big one, okay? Mm-hmm. Nazi Cap is a wuss. Yeah. He doesn't go hard for Hydra ideals. He's like always running interference on his cabinet of Hydra bigwigs. And we're talking about like Baron Zemo, Madam Hydra, Arnim Zola, the mm-hmm. Kraken, and <laughs> more. And he's always just there like stopping them from doing things the way Hydra would actually do them. Uh-huh. Much to my shock, the story that made Cap into a Nazi fascist lacks the courage of its convictions. Wow. I expected to be put off this story by its right-wing nutjob politics, and instead, I was put off by its centrist nutjob politics. Yeah. That's right. That's right. As Nazi Cap shows us, the best way to fight fascism is to make mealy-mouthed utterances of vague misgiving from the literal top of the power elite pile while pretending you're not the one in charge and then ultimately pulling on your jackboots and stomping on those beneath you despite your platitudes. And people wonder why I'm not excited about election season in the U.S. Oh, God. Yeah. Anyway, eventually a different Captain America shows up, a brand new one conjured from the ether and based on Kobik's memories of him from before she turned him forever Hydra. The Caps fight, the good one wins, and everything goes basically back to normal. But you do get a couple of glimpses while they're fighting over reality. Mm -hmm. You get just a couple of glimpses of full-on villain world where Hydra has been in charge basically forever. Mm -hmm. And those bits, which were only a couple of pages out of the 300, (laughs) reminded me of the true potential of villain worlds. So let's talk about DC's Earth 2. All right. Over here on the other side of the street, we have a concept that honestly lets us play with a lot of the same ideas while getting really serious with the meaning of evil and also playing some metafictional games. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is uh, from the original graphic novel titled Earth 2 by Grant Morrison and Frank Quitely. Mm-hmm. And in this story, Alexander Luthor, the hero of an Earth in an opposite antimatter universe, makes his way to the regular DC Earth to ask for the Justice League's help in defeating his greatest enemies, the crime syndicate of America. And we are spelling America with a K today, friends. Oh, yay. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Oh, it's really, it's really actually a villain world. Like, Mm -hmm. it's terrible. At one point, the Justice League think that they are rescuing an airplane from their world that's crashing, but it's actually an airplane from the other world. Mm -hmm. And when they find the tail section, it's like a southern United States airline, and there is some extremely questionable imagery on it based upon the KKK, because... It's an evil world. It's an evil world. Sure. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you've got Ultraman, Superwoman, Owlman, Power Ring, and Johnny Quick rule the world with a spandex-wrapped iron fist. (laughs) And they are true evil opposing forces, Mm -hmm. where Superman is good and noble, Ultraman is cruel and venal. Mm -hmm. Wonder Woman believes in the inherent dignity of all mankind, while Superwoman is a dominatrix-themed creator of nothing but indignity. Batman is the world's greatest crime fighter, and Owlman is the world's greatest crime boss. Mm-hmm. Power Ring has a weapon of incalculable power, but he's cursed to share his brain with the entity that empowers him. Mm-hmm. And Johnny Quick is as fast as the Flash, but he gets his powers by shooting up super methamphetamines. Jesus. They're not good people. <laughs> As the story progresses, the JLA captures the CSA in their moon base, the Panopticon, which, by the way, is what the Hydra Triskelion should have been called, damn it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the JLA proceeds to start fixing the world. But there's a catch. The universes must be in balance. And so the CSA vanish to the JLA's Earth, Mm -hmm. which is when everyone starts to realize the problem. Mm -hmm. The CSA hails from a world where evil always wins and the JLA from a world where good always triumphs, which means that on the opposing Earth, they literally can't win. Mm -hmm. 
And there's someone lurking in the shadows who knew all of this from the beginning and manipulated Luthor into it. Uh-huh. Now, Earth 2 is not perfect. Mm-hmm. There are some odd character beats, and you really have to sign on for some metafuckery or you're going to think it's a garbage story. Mm-hmm. But it is a much better told version of the villain world than Secret Empire. Mm-hmm. We get to watch an evil Justice League murder, ruin economies, enslave their enemies, and bicker with one another over the pettiest of bullshit without messing up our core characters or their basic heroism. Mm-hmm. This cannot be said for many people in Secret <laughs> Empire. The stakes in Earth 2 are real, even though they are literally global twice over, because there aren't nameless death numbers just thrown around for giggles. Mm -hmm. We get to play with what being opposing rather than simply opposite really means, Mm -hmm. with how the CSA are reimagined based on the JLA's origins, and the villains are motherfucking villainous! (laughs) Which means violent and evil, but it also means petty and perfectly willing to sow the seeds of their own destruction through selfishness and backstabbing. Now, before I wrap this up, I want to say I did not sit down to read Secret Empire and hate it. That Uh was not a joke. I didn't expect to like it, but Mm -hmm. I did expect to at least be able to appreciate it. It was much to my shock that it was straight up garbage. (laughs) Shocking. I mean it. I mean it. I never thought it would be good, but I didn't think it would be this bad. Mm -hmm. And there's kind of a cherry on that crap Sunday in that Nick Spencer went to great lengths to spare Nazi cap at the end of the story uh-huh he's still floating around in the 616 ah. but almost nobody has done anything with him wow this is kind of interesting because when it comes to a lot of morrison's work both at marvel and at dc mm-hmm. i often lament that nobody has the guts to do anything with all of the big new ideas that he injects into the universe And I think that that's a big contrast right here between these two different approaches to the villain worlds. But, you know, you can spread it out to creative endeavors across Mm -hmm. the board. Morrison's creations often go untouched by others because I really think they fear ideas this big. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But Mm -hmm. with Spencer... I feel like when they're choosing to ignore his creation, it feels more like disgust with incredibly small ideas. Oh, Like, let's think about it. Mm -hmm. We just talked about all these things that did villain worlds, and it's an interesting concept. Yeah, it is. But what if the personification of America's ideals as created by two Jewish men were actually a Nazi the entire time? Uh, Yeah. Only we're not going to go as hard for it as it sounds like we're going to. Right. If you're going to do it, do it. You know, like if you're going to do it, then commit, go big or go home. But to do this like halfway thing, although like the way that you describe it, I have to say it does feel like a meta commentary, although I think it was written way before, you know, our current situation. But all that stuff was, you know, still in the in the soup. You know, it was boiling in the soup at that time. So, yeah, that's all true. It was started or at least advertised Mm -hmm. before our current situation Mm -hmm. but definitely by the point that we were through 10 issues of it Mm -hmm. we were up to our fucking eyes in yeah assholes in polos and khakis marching Mm -hmm. around informing us exactly who runs the country yeah 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 Yeah, your finger was like on the pulse Mm -hmm. but then it winds up being this kind of mealy-mouthed halfway thing that, but they're that not honestly, saying anything about what that does, about how that's a problem, and that's where the problem is. That's exactly mm-hmm. right. It's mm-hmm. exactly right. And and 
you know, there's a corporate aspect to this. Yeah. Like, I could not believe that they were coming out and insisting to us constantly that, nope, this this cap that's a Nazi is the Steve Rogers you've been reading about this entire time. Uh-huh. I mean, it's technically true in a way if you take Kobik's reality warping fuckery at face value, which mm-hmm. is legit. Right. But that means that means at the end of this, we're now reading comic books about a good Captain America who has existed for... 10 whole seconds. Oh my God. So the real Captain America Mm -hmm. remains evil, but we're going to watch this other, you know, newborn good one. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, now I'm not saying Earth 2 is the only way to approach this, but as opposed to, these are our literal opposites. Not Mm -hmm. like for pathos or comedy, but like up is down, good is evil. (laughs) Right. You know, the whole deal. Mm-hmm. And and it lets them go harder with the villains because it doesn't ruin right. our core heroes who have to sell fucking comic books next month <laughs> without the blood of thousands of innocents on their hands for preference. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's that's kind of crazy. Uh, but I do have a question for you, though. You mentioned yeah. Madam Hydra, you know, yes. in this in yes. this big rundown. Okay, well, that Madam Hydra is different. Okay, so Madam Hydra <laughs> in the comics is different from Madam Hydra that we get. Are we just taking the name and running with it in this framework part of Agents of Shield, or is there is there a link? Well, there are some kind of links. Okay, mm-hmm. so the Madam Hydra. That okay, all right. I'm going to do us all a favor and cut this part short for all okay. of our sanity. Okay. The Madam Hydra that is running things during Secret Empire uh-huh. is not the usual Madam Hydra of the 616. Okay. All okay. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the regular Madam Hydra of the 616 is a woman named Ophelia. Mm-hmm. She used to operate as a top level Hydra agent, calling herself Viper. She ran a serpent squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, she's been around. And then when there was a power vacuum, she stepped into it and declared mm-hmm. herself Madam Hydra. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. So there are some like loose tangential kind of connections between because eight is this whole other package you know Mm -hmm. that they kind of like uh you know video games when you can Mm -hmm. get a new skin it's like they put (laughs) they put a madam hydra skin on the ada character right but they but it's still a madam hydra skin yeah yeah Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, she calls herself Ophelia. Mm-hmm. Sometimes her hair looks green. It Viper's does have a hair is green... like hella green. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it, you say it's got a real green, but you haven't seen a picture of Viper. <laughs> like it's green as <laughs> shit. Like it's just green. Yeah. No. I mean, I mean, our Madame Hydra has just sort of a greenish subtlety to her her dark brown hair. Yes, absolutely. Well, I was curious about that because uh, you know, um, when first of all, when I watched this and I heard the name Madame Hydra, I was like, well, of course course that's got to be a reference to something Absolutely. in the comics um but nothing with any any real you know deep connection not not enough honestly mm-hmm. not enough for me to go into it here because mm-hmm. again it really is that tangential connection yeah. and you know again for for explanation agents of shield has really put me in a place where i feel like i need to do more thematic conversation or big mm-hmm. picture superhero conversation than to really get into the you know minutia of they mentioned this name or that name right right mm-hmm. like like yeah. they they do that a lot and i appreciate that they are mm-hmm. mining that yeah. deeper bench i really do but i feel like it's maybe not always the most interesting thing in the world. And in the case yeah. of this batch of episodes, 
Madam Hydra is about all I had. It's really just a glamour. Yeah. So I bit the damn bullet in Red Secret Empire. I love it. I love this whole like <laughs> book review thing. I look forward to that happening again. Uh, before we get started talking about the final um, arc of season four, which is the Agents of Hydra arc, which I love and I think is officially like my favorite part of the whole run so far. <laughs> um, I wanted to mention something. I got a message from Claire, uh, who listener Claire, who uh, messaged me and gave me some really great feedback on our discussion of Gabriel Reyes, um, the, the the younger brother of Tarabi Reyes, who was in a wheelchair. Um, and and so I just want to kind of share like what she sent me because it was really interesting and, and, and deeply thoughtful. Um, I'm really excited to hear this because yeah. those of you who listened to that episode know that I felt a little wiggy mm-hmm. about what they were doing with Gabe, but I couldn't really put my finger on it. And I felt like it was because it's just not my experience. Right. So I really appreciate one of our listeners taking the time. Yeah. To kind of tell us what's going us something. on. So here's what Claire wrote. Uh, she says, inspiration porn was a phrase coined by Stella Young to address the way media too often made its characters with disabilities inspirational, not in spite of their disability, but because of it. And one of the ways we represent that is through this zen-like acceptance of their disability. You might notice no one expects Robbie to be zen about his literal demons or Daisy about her sense of otherness as an inhuman. In fact, she gets to be righteously indignant about it. As a point of further engagement, I would point you towards Stopgap founder Luke Anderson. Like Gabe, he came to be in a wheelchair as a young man, and like Gabe, he's gracious and charming to talk with. He's also quick to tell you how angry he was at first and how much effort went into moving past that as he learned how to re-navigate a largely inaccessible world. We might meet Gabe after he's found that acceptance, but there are all kinds of little ways to remind us of that difficulty. I was struck, for instance, by the counters in the Reyes kitchen being slightly higher than accessible easily to Gabe. All told, though, I don't feel S.H.I.E.L.D. handles this too egregiously. They might step up to that inspiration porn line, but I don't feel they ever cross it. And I appreciate that Gabe doesn't seem to identify as disabled. Not all people with disabilities do. I never have. I do wish, however, they and other Marvel shows would make more of an effort towards casting actors with disability. They don't actually do badly at representing them. Marvel gives us a wealth of characters to choose from in that regard. But without exception, the actors they cast are able. Now, they're all excellent actors. I adore Jokai's Agent Sousa, and I enjoy the performance we get from Gabe. But I also feel strongly that the... Wait... But I also feel strongly that to really grapple with these issues and or if the writing can't quite reflect the reality all of the time, then there's a duty on whoever is running this to invite in actors with that lived experience. They're out there and they would be equally, if differently, brilliant. Uh, So that's what Claire had to say. I thought that it was um, really um, it was it was nicely thought out. I thought she made some really fantastic points. She was very generous in her assessment of of how well they've done. Uh, But but again, there is always this question of a lot of times with uh, when we have characters with disabilities, uh, we end up casting able people mm-hmm. in those roles. And I think that that is and, you know, I love Jokai. I love the actor who played Gabe. Like, I, I totally get it. It's nothing against them. It's just that we need, if, especially if we're telling a story that includes characters with disabilities, we need to have an understanding of that lived experience. And if you have all able people doing that work, including the interpretation of that character through an actor um, it makes sense to have people you know with disabilities not just 
in the acting role, but on the writing staff, like available mm, yes. to to kind of keep that presence. The idea that the counters are not accessible for someone in a wheelchair, you know, that's something that, you know, that should be addressed. And if it's if it's not that there should be a reason why that's in the fiction, you know, yeah, um, and, and it should be, you know, like acknowledged. So I thought that that was some really great you know, great uh, thoughts on this. Yeah, I really appreciate you, Claire. Thanks so much. And I guess the the caveat that's worth putting here is that we don't expect any one listener to represent yes. one entire group Everybody. as though they are a monolith. Right. And mm-hmm. if there are any other listeners who have uh, similar but different or very opposing views, I'd, I'm still want, I'd love to have the conversation, right? But I do, I do yeah. appreciate that this is a person with some of that lived experience yes. who is mm-hmm. pointing out that they did actually do quite a lot of subtle things to not make Gabe's mm-hmm. life as easy as it could be that I right. didn't necessarily pick up on. Yeah. And it is worth hearing that there are other people who have gone through that in real life that have come out the other side mm-hmm. completely well adjusted. You know, somebody who oh, who yeah. has who has come through that that situation Mm-hmm. very positive and sunny in the way that Gabe is. Um, right. and, I, and it's not Gabe's story and all of that. I, I mean, you mm-hmm. know, so I, I feel less, I feel less Iggy about it. So mm-hmm. I appreciate that. But uh, yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Claire, for coming back. Thank to you. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that, especially because, uh, you know, ableism is one of the things that does not tend to get as much attention mm. um, as some of the other ways in which we see, you know, darkness within our culture reflected within our stories. Um, and I think that having an understanding of ableism is something that I'm kind of, uh, you know, going through right now in Still Pretty. I'm in season five of Buffy, um, in which we have uh, we have a lot of ableist things happening mm. within that story that can be very, very uncomfortable with people with uh, with mental illness and um and so it's really it's it's nice to get these perspectives to find these culture critics uh with disabilities out there who are writing about these things um and i thank you claire for taking the time to to let us know and give us this perspective so thank you so much i really appreciate that and it's it's something that i'll be looking at as i move forward and hopefully be a little bit more aware of as i start watching uh, more stories that have characters with disabilities um but right now we're going to move into to this discussion of the framework and Agents of Hydra, which I absolutely love. But overall, Joshua, I kind of wanted to get your response to this pod, this final pod in season four of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. What did you think? It's pretty fucking fantastic. Thank you. I'm so glad. I was so excited for you to watch it. It's very good. It's very good. I mean, they they really do confront a lot more of uh, the, like, they don't come to answers, but they at least confront <laughs> the philosophical questions, which yeah. is a thing that we did not love as much in LMD, you right. know, so I appreciate mm-hmm. that. And a lot of this character work is uh, is really, really good. A mm-hmm. um, couple of honest to goodness curveballs, uh, yeah. creepy shit like Gemma digging her way out of a mass grave. Right. Um, the, the big reveal of uh, Daisy slash Sky's living relationship, which we'll get to in a moment <laughs> because you're very excited about. Ah. Uh. <laughs> my antipathy um but hey hey there's a surprising twist ending to that actually uh yeah <laughs> anyway it just really really loved it really liked it um in fact and i know this is beyond the scope of the show so when, when mm-hmm. i say this this is actually a compliment to the show okay mm-hmm. i enjoyed agents of hydra so much that it made me want to see 
like what the Hydra Avengers are doing and what they look like. And, you uh-huh. know, like I really wanted to get a feel for the larger MCU through mm-hmm. the lens of the framework, which, again, that's not what this show does or what it's capable of doing. So I'm not mm-hmm. complaining. That's actually a bonus. They made me think so hard about this and be so excited about it that I was like, what's it look like for everybody else? Right. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Big it ups. was a lot of fun. Um, I absolutely love this. I, I, you know, I think my favorite part of this whole thing is is what happens to Fitz. We're going to get to that in just a minute. Yeah. Um, oh, my God. It's so good. But I, I kind of wanted to start with asking about these sci-fi ideas, right? Because the best thing about sci-fi, you know, as we discussed before, is that it takes this philosophical question, makes it real, and then, and then kind of tries to answer that question. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think... Like the big thing here is when you ask what is reality? Yes. What creates reality? What makes things real? Is the fits in the framework real? What about hope? What about your true nature? Like, is it in who you are? You know, like May is just May. It's who she is. We just saw in the last pod how the LMD May had a certain nature that she was willing to kill herself and sacrifice herself in order to rescue everybody else. So that is something that is just in May. But then we see May here and she is part of Hydra. Like she is, you know, and we established through Gemma that Hydra are Nazis, always have been, always will be. That is the essential nature of a Hydra. Incidentally... It is very difficult for that line to not be read as a response to Secret Empire, which was coming out around this time. Oh, it is. I mean, I when think When they were fucking around with, no, they're not always Nazis. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're a precious, sweet summer child. Shut the fuck yes. up and go write your mealy mouthed Nazi cat. <laughs> So, yeah, she's talking not just to us, the viewer, and not just to that kid. She's also talking to Nick Spencer. And I don't know if she's waving or flipping the bird, (laughs) but it's one or the other. No, it's it's really it's really good that they kind of lay that down and make that absolutely clear. But we have like all of this, you know, what is your essential nature? Mm -hmm. What is reality? What is real? You know, Max experience as a father to hope. Like, that's real. I mean, what, you know, like right now, we are all existing in this moment that is now, right? Yes. And everything that has passed, everything that has already happened to us is part of our experience, you know? So that makes that real, right? I mean, what makes what makes their memories of their lives and Hydra world, you know, any less real than our memories of our lives here? You know, I mean, it's it's an interesting, I think, crunchy philosophical question. Um, and also when you talk about the the essential nature of who somebody is, like mm-hmm. you see Mac, you know, he's raising hope. He's in this world, but he's still like he's still Mac. You know, yeah. he does the right thing. He goes he does something that he regrets. He goes in to make it better. That is an essential Mac thing to do. Um, May sees, you know, that they're keeping children in these um, buildings, you know, and sees that uh, that the Patriot, you know, Jeffrey May sacrifices himself to save everybody. And that changes the way that she sees Hydra. However, she's been with Hydra for a while. She's been hanging out with Fitz and Ophelia like she didn't notice they were evil until now. Is that so, man? I got mm-hmm. a lot of questions, right? Yeah, because right? because I really like that bit for May. I think mm-hmm. it's a really yeah. great pull to have mm-hmm. two things in front of her that we know would get May's attention because we yes. know the thing that mm-hmm. broke real world May was mm-hmm. failing a child. So yes. finding a warehouse of children mm-hmm. 
yeah. being brainwashed flips a trigger. Makes sense, right? right? Same mm-hmm. thing with witnessing the selfless act of heroism, you know, from Mace. But those two yes. things come together, and I believe that those would flip May's switches, right? I get mm-hmm. that. It doesn't turn her into real world May, but it pulls the heartstrings. It it makes her feel a way that right. that her current experience is incompatible with. Mm-hmm. What does this mean for her larger experience? Like, mm-hmm. we got to be honest. Uh, Shields a spy agency, and most mm-hmm. of May's career there was under Nick Fury. So heads yes. up, she has done a bunch of awful <laughs> shit. May has done a bunch of awful right. shit. Fair enough. Fair enough. And working for Phil Coulson is Only not you know better. absent. Yeah. yeah, some some ethical considerations. Absolutely fair. So I, I mean, just laying it on the line. If she's been doing real spy shit, like in the mm-hmm. real world, and I'm not even shading the MCU per se. If you're doing mm-hmm. actual spy shit, you are being asked to do a bunch of reprehensible stuff like that. Right. You lie mm-hmm. to everybody. You may have to kill. You may have mm-hmm. to all kinds of things. Right. Like yeah. whatever. So. Real world May, whatever, you know, MCU May, as opposed to framework May, has definitely done a boatload of horrible things Mm -hmm. in the name of fury and country. Okay, Mm -hmm. that's happened. So Mm -hmm. if you if you keep that in mind, like if you're Mm -hmm. sort of able to hold that loosely so that we can still root for her in the present, I guess, you know, Mm -hmm. doesn't shock me that much. Also, I got the feeling that she was a very high ranking agent like she's mm-hmm. very um effective you know she has yes. a team to lead you know what she kind of struck me as she kind of struck me as a crossbones before he became crossbones and winter soldier mm-hmm. right where he's mm-hmm. leading this strike team like he yeah. is the badass that they send in to fix stuff but i don't mm-hmm. think she's involved in leadership meetings with ophelia and fitz right but she sees they're doing pretty evil stuff but at the same time she's only actually been there you know for a few days how long have they actually been in Hydra in oh, real time? Life. No, she has a memory of her whole life. Right. But May has actually her soul herself has only been in this like framework. Oh. Wait, for wait, wait. A Can we put days. a pin? Can we put a pin in integrating the memories? Because I have a whole other I just have more questions and thoughts about that. That's kind of separate. Oh, yeah. I yeah. just honestly, it's just a little it's just a little bit of distance between that and did she not notice Hydra was evil? The thing right. that I think we have to accept from the framework, and this is actually pretty good. I mean, this mm-hmm. is this is pretty real world fascist regimes, you know, kind of stuff, is that they're hiding the worst of what they're doing mm-hmm. and pinning most of the worst that they're letting people see on an other capital O Right. Yes. That everybody can mm-hmm. be afraid of. So, right. I mean, mm-hmm. notice that it was a surprise. It was a hidden top secret thing that they had a warehouse of children that they were brainwashing. That's right. not common mm-hmm. knowledge. Right. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, right. the worst Hydra shit, I think, is not happening in full view. And right. when it does have to happen in full view, it's only pointed at inhumans or at people that they can reasonably claim were inhumans after the fact. Right. Mm-hmm. That's how I that's how I think that's working out. I mean, I think that's how it works for Colson too. Like mm-hmm. he knows that this isn't right. history teacher Colson, right? Yes. History he teacher Colson. It's mm-hmm. not true. He knows it's not right, but man, the trains sure run on time and mm-hmm. you know, I mean, inhumans are dangerous. Like there is a conversation to be had about people just randomly getting super like he justifies mm-hmm. it to himself. But once he sees 
how bad it really is, he can't yeah. anymore, right? And we get right. that a little bit from Mac, where Mac's just like, mm-hmm. keep your head down. But then he goes much yeah. harder when he's like, oh, shit, this is actually much worse yeah. than even I thought. Right. So mm-hmm. I, there's a little bit of like real world things that people have been able to get used to under fascist regimes mixed in there, mm-hmm. combined right. with the fact that Hydra's smart enough to do their most reprehensible shit behind a screen. Right. That's that's mm-hmm. that's what I thought. I you know. Well, not to mention they've got the whole Bakshi network doing the you know oh, global yeah. brainwashing Propaganda. stuff, and so there's a lot of stuff with that. Um, yeah, I definitely. I mean, I understand. Like, I understand Coulson. You know, especially as a school teacher. Although, like, when he sends a kid, you know, to go get abducted by Hydra, Man. like that's a tough. That's a tough moment for Coulson. Um, but then, like, as soon as he sees, you know, Daisy. It turns around for him like he recognizes it and that starts to wake him up. And so that's kind of fun. I like um, I like school teacher Colson. I like his you know, I've, I've been making my own soap. And you know what? <laughs> like the whole time it has that like, you know, crazy conspiracy theory thing to it. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? I'll bet I'll bet. I'll bet there's something in the blue soap. I'll bet there's, you know, I mean, it's it's comic book Hydra. Like, sure, that sounds pretty on brand. In Secret Empire, one of the yeah. bigwigs is Dr. Faustus, who mm-hmm. I have mentioned on this show yes. before as a guy with mm-hmm. basically super hypnosis, not really powers, mm-hmm. but just like super mm-hmm. hypnosis skills. He has a seat at the big table specifically because he is low-key mind-controlling the population yeah. of the United States. Mm-hmm. Fluoride comes out. Different mind-altering substances go in that are essentially untraceable, but over time, you become mm-hmm. more pliable, more malleable. I, yeah, so you can backfill some of that, I think, is fine I into think the framework, so. I think it's right? kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of fun. Um, I love when we've got, you know, of course, we've got this is this is extreme bad girl shenanigans, you know, with... Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Daisy and Gemma, which I absolutely love, the two of them in it together, just going in to like find everybody and get them out. Um, so I love all of that. Like I think that there's so much stuff in here that is just really, really uh, so fun. Um, our alternate versions of you know our various characters. I love Jeffrey Mace in this. Jeffrey Mace as the Patriot. Um, it's so cool. It's so fun. I like how tough he is. I love that moment when Gemma's trying to convince him, and he says. Where are my friends? Do I have family? Like, and she's like, we, I, we, I don't know. We're not friends. Well. Yeah. We're not friends. And then when he says, I buried 17, you know, friends and family in the last year, like, you know, uh, are you going to tell me that wasn't real? And again, that brings us back to this yes. question of what is real? Those experiences are real. When Mac loses hope, uh, that is devastating. Absolutely. That is, I mean, so horrifying. And then, but I, I, part of what, when he comes back, when he wakes up in the regular world with Yo-Yo, right, at the end there, um, after his daughter disappeared in his arms, which a worse nightmare than that, I cannot begin to imagine. Oh, no. But that was a real experience for him. That was a real, and he's just okay. He's like, you know, I had those eleven years with my daughter, and now I'm I'm fine. And I think about the things that we can do together. And I'm like, wait a minute, that was a real experience for you. No, I think it was. But here's here's the thing. Here is the mm-hmm. the way that I'm sort of like trying to approach this that takes seriously the idea that the framework is not objectively real in the way that the Mm -hmm. real world is, but Mm -hmm. that people's experiences 
even manufactured programmed ones, they can't be discounted, right? Yeah. And so I think that with May, she probably comes out and is like, well, it's basically the same. I was back in the yeah. wrong horse, but you know, my, my, my choices and my actions were basically the same. Yeah, um, right. Mm-hmm. And with Colson, his biggest sin is complacency, which don't mm-hmm. don't get me wrong, like, you know, all that we need for evil to thrive is for good men to do nothing. Yeah. So I mean that's a yes. thing, but it's not mm-hmm. active, right? He can go, right. Well, I would never do that now. My eyes are open. You know, they mm-hmm. can justify that. Mac, who is already by leagues the most well-adjusted person on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Oh, yeah. Strikes Mm -hmm. me 100% as a man who could come out of that and say, that is objectively different than my actual lived experience. I can't ignore it, but nor Mm -hmm. am I going to let it take over my life or ruin my, what is essentially an extremely vivid fantasy I'm going to take right. I'm only going to take the good from that and not the negative. I believe Matt can do that. Fitz, by contrast, <laughs> who has never been a well-adjusted individual the entire time we've seen him on this show. Like let's just be honest, like that guy doesn't have his shit yeah. together, you know? Mm-hmm. Um I I feel like even in the beginning, he was all squirrely and weird, and so was Gemma, but when they were together, they were less squirrely and weird, and it's not like they've had an easy fucking time of it since. So right. he is, first of all, not well-adjusted to start with. Second mm-hmm. of all, does not have an easy sin or mm-hmm. set of sins like complacency might be. Yeah. He was an active participant. Yeah. And in probably in a way... That's really a lot sharper, I think, Mm -hmm. than a lot of the other characters on the show. The reintroduction of his father and to see Mm -hmm. just what a massive left turn that caused for his life. Like that's it's too close to real. Right. Like it's too close to things he's actually thought. Like, what if my dad hadn't abandoned me? He's thought this a million times and now he has an idea of what that might have been like. And it's terrible. But he used to wish for it. Right? right. He used to wish for it. Yeah. And so he has to sort of own the fact mm-hmm. that at, on some level he wished for the thing that turned him into that person. Right. Well, and then he said, I'm no different from Ward. Right. I'm just like Ward because of that. But one thing that I want to go back to, yes. though, is that what they establish in the actual text of this, when Gemma, when they're all on the Quinjet afterward, and Gemma looks at May and says, but your memories there, they were like a dream, right? They weren't. And she's like, no, it was a life. Yes. You know, like it was a life. It was a lived experience. I don't care if intellectually you can come out of that and say i was only there for a couple of days that wasn't real you know because when you go in you are given all of the memories and experiences of an entire life as though they are real you experience that as real i mean i've had dreams that have taken me longer to get over than matt getting over losing his daughter in this in this existence so and also the fact that like um when Gemma was asking about that experience, like, what was that? We textually say it's not a dream. It's like a world. It's a life. Yeah. It's an experience, you know, all of that. So uh, so we use that to make the Fitz and Gemma, you know, to, to, to ratchet up the Fitz and Gemma drama. And then we immediately undermine Max's real loss of his daughter, you know, which is a very, very difficult thing. I mean, that's like the most devastating thing, you know. Uh, 
Um, so I found that to be a little bit uh, uh, undermining of of like the impact of this question. What yeah. is real? What makes an experience real for us? Um, and and following through on the aftermath of that, I think, is super important. And I feel like we kind of undercut it a little bit. Now, with Fitz, we do get it, you know, in these in these episodes, we get his, um, you know, his incredible guilt, like yes. how terrible he feels. And we get this like inspiring speech from Daisy at the end that like, you know, we're in this together and we know that you aren't really evil and all this kind of stuff. And I feel like that's a bad move. I think everybody should be looking at Fitz with a severe side eye at this point because he did do those things. Like, it's one thing to be like, you were in this alternate reality. You know, it wasn't necessarily you, but like he clearly has that in him to be able to do that, to be able to shoot Agnes, to be able to do all of that stuff. Him questioning himself, I think, is really important. Um, even though, like, you know, I love Fitz. You know how much yeah. I love Fitz. I've yeah. been talking about Fitz since the moment they <laughs> stepped on that, you know, on the set in the first day. I've been loving Fitz and Simmons, and I've always loved Fitz. But I think that this is a really important question. I love this question in fiction. You know, like, there but for the grace of God go I. What would happen if I was in a certain circumstance? How would I be different? Mm -hmm. How do I know what I'm actually capable of? How evil I could actually be? And what does that mean about the nature of good and evil? Like, these are crunchy questions. Yes. And I think that we, we undercut all of these we've set up in the framework these amazing questions and then we come back and we kind of try to undercut them and i think that the whole point like the best thing about sci-fi is that you get to ask those questions extrapolate them out and when you extrapolate them out there's gonna be pain there mm -hmm. and that processing of that pain that processing of that question i think is really important i think it's important for fitz to have that yeah. question. I love that Daisy gives him that speech, mm -hmm. but I want people to feel uneasy around him. You know, I want like to see them. Yes, we're going to support you. We understand. But he reaches for Gemma and she pulls back like something like I sure. want to see there be consequence for the choices that he made, even though it was in the framework, even though everybody was zeros and ones. I mean, except Agnes, right, who had been real had her consciousness uploaded. So what right? is she really? Like, is she still Agnes or is she zeros and ones or is she both? How is culpable is he for a murder right. of a person? Well, I mean, yeah. He, like Radcliffe and, and Agnes are the same, right? Because Radcliffe is also dead in right. the real world, but his consciousness has been uploaded. So I think the, I think what we are establishing here is that the, is that it is the consciousness. This is actually their soul or their existence or whatever that is uploaded into this space. And that is really them. But my question is, if Agnes was uploaded into the framework and Fritz kills her, why can't she just come back? I mean, I guess because Madam Hydra is the one in charge of all the programming. You oh, know? yeah. And, but I mean, like, I, I, like, in that circumstance, both Radcliffe and Agnes are um, are in there somewhere that you can pull them back. You could bring them back if you had the code, right? Yeah. Okay. I got a lot of stuff. I think in terms of Radcliffe and Agnes, the framework was being deleted. So I mm -hmm. I think that they're gone. But they're in theory, they're just gone because the code is gone. Yeah, but in theory, no I think you're drives. right. Like, right. Like, like in mm -hmm. in theory, they could have been reconstituted or could still right. be unless they've been thoroughly deleted. Whatever thoroughly you know that wiped. means right. in this term. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I'll tell you, I'm gonna hope that they 
unpack Fitz's stuff in the next season mm-hmm. because I know there's some weirdness at the end of this one and I got a real mm-hmm. weird tease for next season. So yeah. I'm hoping that it's not a big time jump and they gloss over it because mm-hmm. I think that a thing that you have been talking about a lot on your Buffy show on Still Pretty mm-hmm. is yeah. the idea of trauma erasure in that. Yes. And, I, and let, I'm not going to do it now, but at mm-hmm. some point, somebody somewhere is going to have me on a podcast where I'm going to talk about trauma in action adventure stories because we have a certain contract with action adventure stories that trauma does not exactly fit into and i don't think that's a problem as long Mm -hmm. as we all recognize that the contract is there right right but put Mm -hmm. that aside and let's talk about like actual the problem of trauma erasure Mm -hmm. i think may legitimately it might take her six or eight months of therapy or whatever but i think may Uh colson and mac come out the other side fine so Mm -hmm. for tv purposes We just skip to that point. Maybe it's, you know, a questionable Mm -hmm. choice with Fitz. I do want to see him struggle with this. Um, Yes. But as far Mm -hmm. as the meaty questions, boy, I'll tell you one reason that nobody in that room might want to think too hard about what he did in there is because they'd have to think pretty hard about how who they are right now could be different. That we are actual human beings, a product of our programming and our environment Mm -hmm. and that our choices are on some level also a product of our environment and our programming and that if i were born 50 years ago i'm not going to be me yeah i'm also probably going to have some pretty shitty ideas about uh people of color and about homosexuals Mm -hmm. and about i mean because it's Mm -hmm. just because I'm a white guy 50 years ago, the right? The cultural programming. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I can tell you one reason they may want to look away from his problems is because they don't want to think too hard about how lucky right. they are to be the people that they are. Well, and them looking away, I get it. Uh, but the writers looking away, uh, that's where I, I have my reservations. In it's that a TV problem, right? I mean... Yeah, I mean, I think that there's there's space in TV to, to do this. Yeah. Um, you know, trauma erasure is something that um, that I do talk about a lot. Uh, because it often happens with uh, women's sexual trauma that yes. we see that yeah. erased a lot. Uh, but trauma erasure in general is something that is such a it's a waste of it's it's two things. One, it's a waste of opportunity for fiction to be really super good because addressing traumatic experiences and walking through that space with your characters is part of the function of fiction that's part of what fiction does is it heals us in a space that is safe from our actual trauma and allows us to address it and to walk through it and to understand it fiction is a way for us to understand ourselves fiction is a way that we we experience ourselves and so why when we have situations in sci-fi where we can ask these questions that are impossible to replicate in the world as we know it um, that allows us to go into these like philosophical spaces that we can't go in the real world world and actually have these experiences and think about how would we feel how do we know that we are essentially good people like what is it how do we know that we would be good people if we had different circumstances you know there but for the grace of god right Mm -hmm. um and i think that those are really really interesting questions and when in fiction trauma is erased like that um and we don't address it and we don't walk through it and we don't go through the dark to the other side right um i was just talking to a friend of mine about this the other day that um, that my response to people like when I have a friend who is in a bad place, mm-hmm. right? you know, suffering through something. My role is always to make them laugh, to give them a bright side, to tell them why it's going to be better and to force them to feel happy again. Like that is what I do. And I've done my entire life. 
I have learned in recent years that the more um, helpful way to approach this is not to drag them kicking and screaming out of the dark, but to sit in the dark with them while they process that experience. Um, And that is really difficult for me because it goes against my basic nature. Like, I get it, you know, Um, but I think it's also better for the people that I love when I'm trying to help them through whatever it is that they're processing. It's the real help. It's the help that they need, not the help that you want to give. Because I'm from that, from a slightly different angle, but we wind up in the same place where I want to solve their problem. Yes. So it's like, okay, so how do we fix it? How do we fix it? Like, let's dig in and fix. You don't like your Mm -hmm. situation. I agree with you. It's terrible. Let's fix it. (laughs) When what they really want is somebody to just like experience the disappointment or the grief or whatever the situation requires. Exactly. You have to feel. I want to make me feel better. Let's go fix it. Exactly. I want to make me feel better. I will make them laugh and make them happy. So yes, it's the same thing. Um, And learning how to sit in the dark with somebody that you love is actually a very important thing to learn how to do. I think that fiction has this opportunity to sit in the dark with us, yes. you know, to yeah. take us into the dark, to sit with these characters in their darkness. Um, and that is something that um, when we when we engage in this trauma erasure, because especially because we want to have the thrill and the excitement of the big traumatic event, but we don't want to pay for it with the processing afterwards because the processing is difficult um, and it requires a, a deeper understanding of what's going on other than, hey, bombs, rape, whatever. Like, you know, um, we're just going to do all these really exciting horrible things and terrify everybody and then we're going to erase the trauma so that we can go bouncing on down the road um, and have a a good old time now I think that you're right I think that some stories do have like these action stories you know do have a certain amount of written into the contract this is what we're doing we're just we're just getting the adrenaline going that's all we're doing and it all is you know not we're not going to go and uh, and address the trauma Mm -hmm. and that and address all of that and like I get it. I think there are some areas, some genres, some stories where that is part of the contract and we all sign when we go in, right? I think that here, I think that in sci-fi, especially in sci-fi, where the purpose of sci-fi is to ask those questions and then interrogate and investigate the answers and what happens afterwards. That's the whole point. So to to go in to ask these questions, to do this wonderful stuff, to give us this crunchy thing, we see Fitz just destroyed, right? But then we get this this happy, you know, we're a family speech from Daisy, and it feels like that's a moment where we're like, hey, guess what? It's all okay now. Let's go get some pie. You know, that's... I'm going to tell you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I had some issues with that speech for exactly this reason, because because I do have certain feelings about the place of, of really seriously looking at trauma and action adventure stories yes. belongs. Maybe not here. At the same... Mm-hmm. Like, generally. At the same right. time... Mm-hmm. This is a show that really asks us to invest and care about these characters mm-hmm. as characters. Yeah. And it's a show that clearly just put them through the emotional ringer. Mm-hmm. And at least one of them is going to be the tip of the spear of talking about that. So I was kind of like, OK, I don't love this wrap up the season ending, but I'm yeah. going to put a pin in it to see what they do next season. You right. already know, mm-hmm. and I don't want to talk about it. I do already know, and but I'm, I'm kind not going to talk about it. <laughs> but I'm, that's why I'm kind of in a weird space where I'm like, yeah. if they keep dealing with Fitz, I can forgive mm-hmm. them for TV hand-waving For what the they do people. at the end of this season. If they mm-hmm. don't keep dealing with Fitz and they just jump six months in the future and it's a whole other story and he's fine, I'm going to be like, mm-hmm. you lazy bastards, how dare you? You know? Right. So I, I, I'm with you. I am so with yeah. you, but mm-hmm. I almost... 
can't come down yet because I haven't <laughs> I haven't seen yeah. where we go, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we'll, you know, we'll get there. Um, but I do feel like the I feel like we're we kind of hand wave the Mac thing, which is a real thing that we should we should pay attention to. We uh, and, and the Fitz thing, I feel like with Daisy's speech, just like with what we've got going in this season um, does have that that hint of trauma erasure to it, which means that these questions that we've raised, what is the nature of reality? What is your true nature? Is it who you are? Is it the way you're raised? Is it circumstance or is it nature? like who you are just innately um these are such fantastic questions and i don't think that we we spend as much energy trying to answer them which i think is a shame because we get some fantastic stuff going on there and i love the framework anyway even with that disappointment like i freaking love it so the gentle pushback that i would have there is that Mm -hmm. on a certain level if they had given us pat answers i might feel like the pat answers Uh, not even pat answers like i mean Mm -hmm. it's going to take time and so when they did give us pat answers to some of those questions it leaves us in a place where we can't discuss it which is where i think the real most meaty most power of these kinds of speculative stories Mm -hmm. is that they don't answer it they let us walk out of the theater or get up from the couch and have conversations about it. Mm-hmm. Right. right. Mm-hmm. So it's very interesting. And I, and I think that there is a sort of cultural commentary conversation to be had about trauma erasure. And I will mm-hmm. see what they do with Fitz. But I am very OK with them not putting the questions yeah. to bed because how many how many of these shows, how many of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. episodes mm-hmm. our last batch of episodes? <laughs> right. Didn't right. really give us anything to talk about didn't, because they no. didn't really even engage with it, you know. So I right. so mm-hmm. um, there's definitely some wrong ways to do this, and mm-hmm. we'll see how this plays out. But mm-hmm. I actually really appreciate on a certain level that they gave us the space where we could go away and grapple with it ourselves, either personally yeah. or in conversation with others. That's absolutely that's very I think cool. That that's I think that that's good. I think that without the hand waving, that would have been a little bit better, but. Bottom line is, um, I think that it's it's a really good um, pod. I, I it's one. I I have to say, I think that it is my favorite. Uh, part of the whole Ages of S.H.I.E.L.D. run so far. I haven't seen the latest season, but I've seen all the others. Um, it's really, really good stuff. Um, I especially appreciate that Ward is back. I enjoyed, I mean, okay, now I have to say, I enjoyed seeing Ward on a couple of reasons. One, because I love Brett Dalton and he delights me as a human and because of that, whenever I see him, I'm happy. And another, because I knew that I would be getting texts and from Joshua saying Ward And back. you did. Um, I did. In fact, it's possible that the first text I sent you was just Ward in all caps with an exclamation point. Yes, I believe it was. But mm-hmm. I believe it was followed very quickly with also all in caps and with an exclamation point. I am livid. I will never escape this motherfucker. Um, so are you ready for the twist ending? I am ready. I'm so excited. I really like this Ward. I know. Wasn't it great? It's I, I the mean, best Ward. It's basically not at all the ward that we knew in any functional way that matters except that it is i love when Gemma says oh you betrayed everybody yeah that's on brand well, like just that ward will always betray whoever he's with it's just that when he's with the bad guys he'll betray them and then be one of the good guys sure fair enough by the way yes. circle that back to they have definitely done reprehensible shit on behalf of yes. shield like let's just true, file true, that true. away fair uh, enough but fair no enough. i really like this ward like he's mm-hmm. idealistic and he is committed yeah. to a cause and he is the the he is the best parts of first two-thirds 
of the yeah. first season ward, yes. but with some actual character personality yeah yes, yeah exactly i mm-hmm. was legitimately upset that i was just like how fucking dare they i just got rid of his ass it but, would have been worse if it was lincoln that's all i have oh to say God. <laughs> at least i had a reaction for ward i don't know how to text a low sad groan which is what it would have been for lincoln just a big pile of mashed potatoes. That's it's just, all Lincoln man. is. Flavorless so right. mashed potatoes. Yes. Mm-hmm. But, but it ends. Twist ending. Yeah. I really mm-hmm. like this ward. I really like how it ends up. I really, yeah. really do. Like a big, yeah. big fan of this version of ward who now I really hope we're completely done with them and I don't have to like get different flavors. You know, <laughs> I'm just waiting. Well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to spoil anything for you. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I actually, I really enjoyed this ward. I thought he was a lot of fun. I loved when it turned out that he was with the resistance. I liked that he apologized, you know, when he says to Gemma, whatever it is that I did, I am really, truly sorry. Yeah. And that moment at the end where he looks at Daisy and he says, says okay well when you leave do i get my sky back and that was really touching i thought that that was you know i really liked that character b and i loved when you know she looks at him and she says i have to say i never really understood you but now i think i do you know um so i really liked that we also have of course that one vital moment right where instead of uh bill paxton coming to get him it's victoria hand you know um which is an interesting choice because it's not like we liked victoria hand or thought she was a paragon of virtue when last we saw her no no but she was you know she was on the the side of you know good ish i guess and yeah and also (laughs) exactly good ish and um, and, you know, Ward ended up killing her in, you know, our reality. So right. the fact that she was the one who went and got him and, you know, he was in prison for arson and all of that. And he got pulled out so that he could be a part of something bigger. Um, I actually I really like that. Um, I liked our, you know, our alternate version of Jeffrey Mace. I really enjoyed. Um, and I enjoyed when Trip showed up. I love BJ Britt. I will be happy to see him whenever he shows up, but you weren't quite as pleased with his arrival as I was. No, because it was like salt in my wound. (laughs) Because you can't have him, right? Goddamn dare they take him away from me in the first place. And, and then, yeah. How double goddamn dare they? They dangle him in front of my face, just being all charming and awesome and just making me go, yeah, boy, if only Trip were still around. Man, everything would be better, and it would be. <laughs> and it would be. Man. I know. I miss I miss Trip so much. When I saw him, I was like, oh, my God. And when everybody's like, Trip, and they run and they hug him, and he's like, okay, person I've never met before. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Man, it's so, so cool about it. Like, mm-hmm. even though he knows the score, he's still, like, pretty cool. Like, uh, yeah. hey, person we, I just we met. We must have hooked up, right? I mean, I just, I love everything about him. He's so adorable. And I just, like, wish they could have found a way to pull Trip 
out of man ellen <laughs> dietrich still running around with oh, them with low-key superpowers god yes give me trip back i love him too much to have have lost him but uh but it was nice it was nice to see him it was nice to at least spend a little bit of time with him so i really really enjoyed that um but i have to say like i think my favorite part of like this whole thing is uh is madam hydra is ada now my real question when you say this do you yes. mean madam hydra or do you mean Ada? Because these I mean, trains are yeah. not exactly the same train. <laughs> they don't exactly meet. I mean, I think I mean Ada. Like oh, yeah. Ada, who goes in, becomes Madame Hydra, um, changes, you know, these little things, then manipulates everything, but convinces herself that she's still living according to that prime directive. She She's out in the real world on the submarine, just making <laughs> all of these little superiors, you know, running around. Um, it's just oh, kind mercy. of adorable. Yes, it's just, it's it's wonderful and it's, and it's horrible. And and she's evil and awful. And then, and then, monkey's paw Ada. Man. She gets her wish. And she has all of these emotions and all of these feelings. And she doesn't know how to feel them. When she saves Mac and she says it was the best day of my life. And then Fitz says, I only have room in my heart for one person. It's Gemma. The look on her face, Mallory Jensen, is like my favorite Ever. She's amazing. And when she just screams, no, and it's it's terrifying and heartbreaking and amazing. And the writing for this character, the complication, what the Darkhold allows to happen to her, um, all of it. And with all of these powers, too, that she's got all of these inhuman powers, which in the moment was this turn that you're like, what the actual fuck? <laughs> but then, of course, of course, that's what they were doing the whole time they were working on inhuman people. That was right in front of you. I loved that turn where they give her all of that power and she's completely a mess and then she goes back and she says you know to the superior make me feel something else and kisses him and then i'm thinking all right and then she smashes his head against the ground it's so oh god when she grabs the the um vodka from him and swigs it back all of it is so wonderful and so vibrant and so visceral and i just Love it. So I'm going to go on forever if I keep going. What did you think? I agree wholeheartedly. And that's kind of why I wanted to figure out exactly who you meant. Like if you liked her better as Ophelia than mm -hmm. as Ada or as embodied Ada, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I really like I haven't really cared about Ada before now. Like Ada mm -hmm. and LMD. Yeah. Nah, 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 nah. Mm -hmm. She's basically a walking, talking MacGuffin, you know, plot right. engine. Mm -hmm. uh, but Madam Hydra is honestly, I got my two favorite flavors of supervillain yeah. from her. And one of those right. is like the uh, I have a uniform. I have a mm -hmm. plan and I have <laughs> puppets. Right. Like I love that. <laughs> right. Uh huh. And then the other one is. I am mustache twirling batshit nuts evil. And the thing <laughs> is, they did that with the same character, and it makes yeah. complete sense because, you know, not to out you or anything, but nine times out of ten, you hate mustache twirling batshit crazy evil. But they I totally do. justify it. 
They do, but because look what she's been through. She's going through this transition from, you know, from machine to human. Yeah. And all of that, all she wants, she touches the dark hold. It sparks this thing in her. It sparks the ability to want the desire. Yes. Right? She gets consciousness. You know, she goes through, it's such a transformational experience. And then when she's completely out of her mind, evil, you know, um, you feel, because there's this one moment too, where, where Fitz is like, she's just gotten all of her emotions at once, like what that must be. And when he tries to engage her empathy, do you have empathy? Can you understand what it feels like? Yeah. She has this moment. She saves Mac. She says it's the best moment of her life. But then when Fitz doesn't love her anymore, that sends her into this dark spiral. And I ordinarily hate that. Like um, a man rejects a woman and suddenly she's crazy and she loses her mind. But I think that they seed it yes. really yes. well with everything that's going on here. Um, well, I because, love it. Because we could actually see that happening yeah. with something other than Fitz, right? Like, yes. like they, they go with Fitz because of all the setup and the framework. So, right. But mm-hmm. you could unplug him and plug in some other disappointment like imagine anything right imagine Mm -hmm. she gets into the habit of saving people and then Mm -hmm. one day she's not able to save somebody she's gonna fucking lose it like she's not gonna be capable of dealing with it overwhelmed she doesn't know how to handle this level of emotion these feelings you know oh god i know she's spectacular so much i love madam hydra I love mm-hmm. Embodied Ada. This actress is just just a delight and a phenomenon. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She's incredible. Really good. And and damned if, once again, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is looking at the rest of the MCU and saying, you guys have really shitty villains. You should borrow ours. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Legit. I mean, this is a great freaking villain. She is wonderful in that role. Um, I also really enjoyed there was. OK, there was this moment. Right. Uh, those of you who remember some episodes ago when Joshua had me click on a link so that I could look at a drawing of a character called Modoc. I can be specific. Is... If you need to hear this and haven't heard it, this is our <laughs> Iron Man 3 episode because Iron Man 3 is an enjoyable film that is nevertheless yes. a giant bundle of missed opportunities. And one mm-hmm. of the missed opportunities was making Guy Pierce a mobile organism designed only for killing. I had no idea the impression that I would make on Lonnie. If you want to hear me make that impression in real time, that episode is still available, friends. It is still available. And there is a link to the picture that he had me click on so that I could see how they had envisioned the MODOK. Um, and sometime after that, I watched, you know, season four of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? And I saw the superior say something, just a little thing that got past me the first time I watched it, but when I watched it after we had done that episode i was like oh my goodness and i was waiting joshua's texting me as he's going through all of these episodes and, and i was like okay there's a thing i want you to pick up i want you to pick it up like soon but there's a thing coming i'm making too big a deal out of it I'm making way too big a deal out of it. it's not that big a deal but it's just something i want to see if you pick up blah blah, blah. so joshua's texting me this stuff i'm like no that's not it no that's not it and then finally he goes oh my god designed only for killing and i was like yep that's it because it's That's delightful. It. it is, right? I was so excited about that. Because yeah. I knew what it was. I knew the reference. Friends, you know? if I could do a Russian accent worth a shit, you would have heard it at the top of the show. Because I would have done it. 
You know what? I'm not convinced Zach McGowan can do a Russian accent worth a shit, but I can't even do the one he's doing. I don't care. I love him. Oh, no. I he's a delight. I love him as a superior. I think he's wonderful. I love the millions of them just wandering around this The best place, part of the yeah. superior at this point mm-hmm. is that he finally has a job, and it's a job I really enjoy, and the job is taking the piss out of Ada. Exactly. <laughs> you are like when a she toddler. she bashes his head. Yeah. Are you done? <laughs> You know, can we get on with the business now? You know, exactly. <laughs> so great. It's so wonderful. So I, I loved that. And the fact that so he is he's also his head is in a jar. Right. right? You mm-hmm. know, so he is a machine or a mobile organism designed only for killing. It's true. Um, so is he both of those things? Like you have him as the superior, which also has a pedigree within the comic books. And then you've got the Modoc. So is he like a combined of these two things? Like. I mean, he doesn't really have very much in common with Modoc. Aside from being a, a head in a jar, right? Well, Modoc's not a head in a jar. He's um, not a head in a jar. No, Why do I remember he, that? he is a massively evolved intellect to the point that his body cannot oh, so support his, head his giant is so head. Big. Yeah. Okay. So he has right. to ride around mm-hmm. in a rocket chair. That is both rockets holding him up and rockets being fired from it because he's designed only for killing, right? Um, so I don't think that he has a whole lot in common with mm-hmm. the actual six one six Modoc. However, yeah. however. I really appreciate, once again, is it a wave or a bird being flipped? I don't know. (laughs) But I love that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. turns to the rest of the MCU and is like, yeah, motherfuckers, MODOK, we might go there. Delightful. I loved it. It's one of those things that they just throw in there, and it, you know. And I know it's like fan servicey stuff. It's stuff they're just throwing in there because it'll make the comic books people happy. But it <laughs> delighted me when I heard it. It delighted me. So I was very pleased about that, and I was also very pleased that you picked it up. So we've got uh, Radcliffe in this. I actually like. I loved Radcliffe from beginning to end. Second, we picked him up last season. I loved him. Um, he's been really, really fun, even with all of his you know expository monologues and whatnot. <laughs> Um, I loved seeing him with uh, with a- with Agnes, you know, while yes. they were, you know, in this. And he's like, this is still a prison, even with my ties. And I'm like, shut up, dude, just shut up, you know. Um, but it was it was really sad to see, you know, what happened to Agnes. I thought that Mallory Jansen did such, such a great job with all of these, you know, uh, like iterations of this this one woman. Oh, yeah. She's like know, 10 sort of, like, characters. All of this. She's amazing in all of them and she's just it's so good um but i really loved um radcliffe and i loved his final you know that goes out with a with a bang not a whimper or with a whimper not a bang or whatever it was right this is how the world ends not with a bang not with a bang but a whimper. but, with right, a, let me but he doesn't get right. to finish it I know. Oh, it's, it's so del- good. It's so amazing. Yeah. When it just crashes to the ground, the, the glass crashes to the beach with no sound. It's all gone. It's Yeah, because the framework's deleted. It's really good. Right. So, uh, you know, I'm on board. I've loved Radcliffe from Jump as well. Mm-hmm. I loved him when he was, you know, more sinister and evil last season. Mm-hmm. I've, I've liked right. him being this, you know, like legit mad scientist guy and mm-hmm. now regretting all of his life choices and finally coming to a place of acceptance mm-hmm. yeah. at, at the last possible moment for him to come to a place of acceptance. Exactly. It's all the time he's got left, right? It's so yeah. it's really good. It's mm-hmm. the Radcliffe arc is yeah. easily 
on its own, like we, he doesn't get as much screen time in this part of the mm-hmm. pod, but it's yeah. easily the same level as Ada's. Honestly, I think uh, yeah. it just doesn't get front and centered quite as hard as she does mm-hmm. because she's the big bad. But it's right. really well done. Fantastic stuff. Yeah, no, it's it's really great. Um, I would also like to take a moment to celebrate the awesomeness that is Gemma Simmons from the moment that she, you know, discovers that Fitz is a robot to when she stabs him and slices his neck. Um, it is it's so wonderfully done. I love that moment when, you know, she figures that out. There's the trauma of killing him, even though she knows he's a robot. It's still has to feel like killing fits, you know? And then when she bumps into Daisy and Daisy quakes her and the two of them hug, like it's so wonderful. Then she's in the framework and she's telling everybody it's ones and zeros, it's not real. Yeah. And having those discussions when she looks at Mac with Hope, you know, and and does she see Hope as being real to him, you know? And and when the, when the Patriot, when Jeffrey May says, I've buried 17 people, you're gonna tell me that's not real. Um, all of those questions I think are so good but I mean I love when she's just so frustrated with everything it's yeah. just like I've had enough of you 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 know random code you know <laughs> um, she's stealing you know cars and and escaping from finding Phil Coulson like doing everything she's so great throughout this season she's looking for fits she's so determined and then when she finds him that heartbreak wow. of seeing yes. him kill Agnes, that heartbreak of seeing him with Ada, you know, yes. um, knowing that she has to wake him up. And then when they're jumping into, you know, through the portal and he shoots her. I mean, my God, like all of it is so it's so beautifully built. It's so wonderfully devastating. And she is such a badass from beginning to end and I love seeing this happen with her character and this is the kind of thing where I'm like okay this is where we build dark Gemma from this is where we build a Gemma processing serious trauma and going a little dark like you know I want to see that yeah I mean she definitely has all the excuses what with her Mm -hmm. trip to another planet that she barely survived and lost a boyfriend husband type whatever deuterino right yeah, and then loses fits mm-hmm. yeah more than once you know mm-hmm. i mean loses him when he's clearly taken because it's an lmd yes. and then loses him again when she figures out who the doctor is and then honestly yes. maybe loses him forever when she comes back and realizes he's yeah. not dealing with that very well yeah. um yeah yeah i mean on top of just the delight of bad girl shenanigans in general mm-hmm. uh yes. simmons simmons pretty fantastic in this pod simmons is great simmons is really really great um and then we have the uh, you know not a bang but a whimper the colson and may thing <sighs> Which, right, at this point, I'm like, yeah, you know, fine. Like, I'm not shipping it, but I don't hate it. It's whatever, you know? I hope that when we mm-hmm. come back for our next season, our writers realize what a colossal fuck-up that was <laughs> and just pretend like nothing happened because I believe that that's what May and Phil would want. <laughs> Let's just pretend it was a bad dream and move on from it. Because <laughs> it was uh, ill-conceived from jump, and this mm-hmm. supposedly kind of 
funny ending we were supposed to have where the I, I don't really want to talk about it because it's garbage. I mean, yeah. like, like I don't want not if you have things you want to discuss, of course, we are more than welcome. But I mean, honestly, talking about that thing is going to undermine my overall enjoyment because the whole time yeah. that we had to deal with that fallout, mm-hmm. I was like, well, this could have been more interesting, but instead you guys have decided to make jokes. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so let's let it go. Uh, we do have this interesting moment, though, with Coulson as Ghost Rider. You know, we have Robbie Reyes comes back. We have Ghost Rider taking over Coulson. Coulson taking out Ada. Um, okay, right? Uh, this no. is a point where you wish the <laughs> listeners could see the look that I'm making. <laughs> He has a look on his face like he has smelled something real bad. I'm trying to real get bad. this like through my voice, like through my inflection. <laughs> That's a terrible fucking piece of shit hack ending. I don't like it. <laughs> I I had grave misgivings over mm-hmm. the writer just jumping to Mac, you will recall. Yeah. Like, I mm-hmm. feel like that breaks Absolutely. the rules and doesn't make any sense at all. Mm-hmm. I don't like that Phil Coulson puts a demon in himself and we never deal with that. Like Robbie right. makes it sound like it is a constant battle. And yeah. Mac says it's a constant battle that I lost in two fucking seconds. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm supposed to believe that Phil Coulson, a man who has never met a demon on his shoulder, that he didn't go high fucking five, dude. Let's do it. <laughs> No. Mm -mm. (laughs) Phil Coulson gets the Ghost Rider, and the next scene is the world engulfed in flames. That is what I think. (laughs) First of all. And second of all, it breaks the fucking rules of Ghost Rider, which I'm not okay with. Again, Mm -hmm. again, like I could kind of at least go, okay, they set up a thing where the demon's terrified and Max lost hope. Jerk Mm -hmm. off motion. But... (laughs) This was just this was just uh, somebody running into the writer's room going, look how clever I am. And nobody had the heart to tell him. You're right. <laughs> well, you know, yeah, I think I agree. Like, I was not <laughs> terribly impressed with the whole thing. I didn't care that much. I was like, oh, OK. You know, I, I don't care. As long as Ada gets killed, like, I'm fine. Right. You know? It's time um, to end it. Okay. It's time to end it. Let's end it in whatever way we need. And I guess that he is, you know, Chekhov's ghost writer, so he has to come back in the third act. You know, fine. Um, I got to tell you, also, though, let's talk yeah. about the escalation of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. over the course yes. of whatever, what of four seasons. Right. Where ghost writer just walking back into frame with no explanation seems completely <laughs> reasonable. <laughs> We're okay. I had At this no point, problems, no issues. Exactly. Yeah. At this point, it's it's the you know it's the boiling frog of incredulity, right? You know, it's like after a while, you're just like, okay, fine. This is the thing we're doing. The water's hot, you know. This is me <laughs> starting to go. Oh, finally, the water is approaching the correct temperature. Exactly. <laughs> But there is this moment at the end, right, when Robbie looks at Coulson and says, are you going to tell them? Right. So we have this ominous moment of like, well, what is there to tell? You know, something's going on with Phil now because he was Ghost Rider or whatever. 
You know, and he's like, I'll tell them eventually. Um, so we have this whole thing with Robbie. Robbie comes back simply to infect Coulson, I guess, with the Ghost Rider so that Coulson can, you know, do this mad switch on Ada. Um, well, I liked the idea that the writer yeah. would hate mm-hmm. Ada because she is yeah. so infected with the Darkhold. Like, She's I'm, from the Darkhold. I get it. I like I that. I get it. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. The, the setup mm-hmm. is good. The payoff, a little less so. A little less so. Um, but, you know, but Robbie is basically there to hand off Ghost Rider to Coulson and to flirt with Daisy. We have this moment at the end of the season where they're kind of making goo-goo eyes at each other. Um, and then he wanders back to hell because, uh, you know. Okay. Yeah. Where else? What else are you going to do? What's he going to do? Uh, Go get drive pie? away and continue to wreak vengeance upon the guilty. <laughs> That's what. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, the Ghost Rider thing. The first pod with Ghost Rider, I was like, okay. You know, it feels a little out of sync with the rest of it. But, you know, whatever. That's fine. And then when he just shows up at the end, Deus Ex Ghost Rider, you know, (laughs) it's a little bit weird. Uh, I believe. Yeah, I think that's your line, right? Isn't that? Didn't you text that to me? Yes, indeed. I believe what you're searching for is Diabolica Ex Machina. <laughs> Diabolica Ex Machina. All right. All right. Fair enough. Because the, enough. the, the your, demon yeah. is in the machine and it's sorting our shit out. <laughs> I love it. It is. I mean, it's just he just shows up at the end and it does feel a little bit weird. But also at this point, it's like, I don't care how you resolve it. Just resolve it because it's the end of the season. We just got to see this thing end. And she is so incredibly powerful um, and built up that way that we need to have something that can match her and that can take that away. The idea that it is in the power of the dark hole that does it. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that that makes sense. And I, I, I'll buy that. Overall, I have to say, um, again, my favorite part of the entire run of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is this last bit and I was really really glad that you liked it if you hated it I think I would have been I can usually handle like if people don't like things I like or if they don't you know whatever it's fine like you know love what you love and I think that that's fine but for some reason I was like super invested in you liking the framework because I loved it so much no look I get it because I'm remembering (laughs) back to when we started it and every Mm -hmm. god awful true thing I said Mm -hmm. about what a pile this show was at the beginning every time you were like you're right it's a pile but just you wait hang in there and you know i don't know when the switch happened it was at the beginning of season three um yes, mm-hmm. yes exactly. but here we are mm-hmm. and i'm just like yeah 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 oh 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 are you teasing mm-hmm. a random trip to space why the fuck not the only reason i'm not mad about that is no ghost rider all right, Joshua, for the framework, the last part, ages, oh, I keep calling it the framework. It's Agents of Hydra, but I like it. I like thinking the of it as the framework. The framework is, I admit, a more elegant title, mm-hmm. but it's nowhere mm-hmm. near as evocative as Agents as of agents Hydra. As Agents of Hydra, so, absolutely. You know, and you absolutely. know me, subtleties yeah. for saps, go big, right. Agents of Hydra. <laughs> All right, so what's your favorite part, this last final pod? Okay, now... Mm-hmm. This may shock you since we haven't discussed him up till now, but honestly, there's nothing to say other than that this man and the actor that plays him are fucking Mm -hmm. amazing. (laughs) My favorite part is Alistair Fitz. 
Wow. God damn, though. Can we just <laughs> make that guy the chief lieutenant of a big bad on some show that runs for a hundred years? He's fucking perfect. <laughs> he is. He is perfect at being terrible. That actor actually is in a terrible movie that I love with my whole heart called The Matchmaker with Gene Garofalo guy? from 1997. No, he's the love interest. Fucking in it, gross. And he's just adorable. I no, I have loved it. him. <laughs> I'm going to pretend you I've never, never told me that. I've never seen him in anything else. I've seen him in these two things, a romantic comedy and uh, and this. But just yeah. look at him. I mean, look at him, the way he's mm-hmm. built and that he, mm-hmm. like, just just that, like, that bulldog set, like, to his shoulders. Yeah. Is he ever not clenching his fists? No, I was watching. <laughs> but he wears this suit that's perfectly tailored for him and yet it still mm-hmm. looks like if he flexed it would tear it's amazing <laughs> he is so good i w- i really yeah. want him to either be like i say chief lieutenant to the actual you know thinking mm-hmm. man's big bad or yeah. better yet to be like no i used to be the billy badass i retired and now i'm fucking back right like that's <laughs> Man, I, honestly, yeah. he was spectacular. Mm-hmm. Like it, he was really good. So, so I admit he's kind of a bit player, mm-hmm. but but I mean, every time he was on the screen, I was arrested. So yeah. that's my mm-hmm. favorite part. Lonnie, he was really good. What's your much more reasonable favorite part? <laughs> I Ada screaming no Man. at Fitz and losing her shit. I loved that whole thing. Uh, that whole thing. Although, uh, I don't know, like there's the screaming of the no, and then there is the snatching of the bottle from the superior slash Modoc yeah. and taking a swig. Both of those I absolutely loved. It's just my favorite thing. I love this whole run. It's so good. I can't argue. She's really spectacular as, like I said, 10 different characters. And yes. And that scene could have been ridiculous. And you know uh-huh. how you can tell? Because Revenge of the Sith happened, right? Yeah. It could have been ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. But instead, everybody watching this went, oh, shit, they're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. yeah so exactly. Great. Fantastic. If you enjoyed this conversation and would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. Lonnie is at Lonnie Diane Rich, and I am at Joshua Unruh. And the hashtag is Listen Up, A Holes. This episode of Listen Up, A Holes was brought to you by the Chipperish and Pulp Diction producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Listen Up, A Holes is coming to you free and ad free right now. So thank you to our August producers. Abigail, Alice, Erica, Rose, Jonathan, Jonathan, Kristen, Sarah, and Shelly. Thank you, producers, and to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions. This message is for you. Rain or shine, the man with the umbrella is always ready. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, our Patreon links are in the show notes. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or live alone and make your own soap. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We will be back next time with our discussion of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Season 5, Episodes 1 through 10, The Lighthouse Arc. Until then, this isn't the framework, this is hell. This isn't the framework. This is hell. (laughs) I love when she says that.